All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you are here to witness the future of music unveiling. Right before your very eyes, we will tell you what happens in music over the next 10 years. So you've come to the right place. We have all of the answers, every single last one, on streaming, record labels, artists, all right here. Unfortunately, Too Short won't know what's going to happen over the next 10 years in the music business because he had a family you, emergency. You can check Twitter. You can check Twitter. So get ready for your life to be changed. My name is Zach O'Malley-Greenberg. I am the senior editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes magazine in New York. I'm also the author of two books, a biography of Jay-Z called Empire State of Mind and a biography of Michael Jackson called Michael Jackson, Inc. To my left, we have Brian Harris-Frank. He's the president of interactive video outfit Interlude. Uh, it's a company that makes interactive videos. His resume also includes roles at Warner Brothers and Beats Music, where he was a co-founder. And on my further left, we have Daryl Ballantyne. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lyric Find. Uh, founded in 2004, the service provides legal lyrics from over 4,000 publishers around the world, including all the majors, to companies from Amazon to Shazam. Um, so I think, uh, you know, really any discussion of the future and the present of the music business has to begin with streaming. So to me, there's no question going forward that it is and will be the dominant medium. Um, the, the question is, uh, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be a, a freemium model? Is it going to be a paid model? Um, where, where are we going with, with how music is consumed? So let's, let's start there. Uh, you, you've got some experience <laughs> in, in that matter. Where, where do you think, Brian? Uh, well, I think along with uh, everything else, uh, the genie's out of the bottle, right? So any conversation around streaming music has to start with a conversation about the biggest streaming service in the world, which is... YouTube, <laughs> the free place where you can listen to any song you want, even songs that haven't been officially released and live versions and remixes and all of those things. And it's absolutely free and on demand for anyone right now. So let's consider that before we start talking about trying to close a paywall around music. Now, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just saying this is where we're at. So um, it's one thing to consider. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently Maybe, maybe too much talk. Anyone? No? <laughs> this song is not a rebel song. Anyway, um, there's been a lot of talk recently about the freemium model because of Taylor Swift, right? And then there's been a lot of talk even more so about Adele, Will She, Won't She? Have you, has anyone seen this morning, Will She, Won't She? Do we know? Mm, I don't know. Will she? Do we know? Anybody? Nobody. See, we, we don't still know. don't even know. So think it's about that for a minute. She's trying to withhold this thing. People are trying to withhold. I think what may happen... Meanwhile, everybody's yeah. just listening to it on YouTube for free. There you right. go. The future exactly. music, we don't even know so. what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that, that we will see probably more of this um, trying to withhold to the pay-only tier, like what, uh, you know, Taylor Swift so um, bravely tried to achieve. I, I think that will come soon. But I think the practicality is we're going to have to find other means for uh, revenue coming to artists instead of hiding behind a paywall because we know that that will just drive more piracy and all this stuff. There, there's no way to put it back in. Yeah, it's my I, mean, I, I think the days of unlimited free tier are, are numbered. I don't think that there's going to be uh, Spotify's free tier as it is now for for too much longer. So all of the labels and all the rights holders are really putting a lot of pressure on them to not have that and to pay uh, 
and convert people into paying subscribers. Uh, so that that's going to become much more limited. But the real question is, what action will be held over on services like YouTube, where if people aren't using a free tier on Spotify, they will just go over to YouTube, and can they be pushed into something that is uh, higher paying or is actually a pay pay service uh, and generates more royalties? But if YouTube starts to cut off free streaming or limit it, uh, which they really don't want to do, obviously, what's the net effect on money flowing? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on what is the per play rate. Uh, on all these different services, and to me, that doesn't matter. It's what is the size of the pool of money. Uh, if if I'm an artist, if I'm a label, if I'm a publisher, I don't really care what I'm being paid per use. I care about how much I'm getting paid, especially when somebody else is the one that's covering the costs of doing the streaming or hosting the data and doing all of the the reporting. Just give me the biggest check possible so that everybody can make as much money as possible. Well, and I think that's a really good point, actually, that it's not just about a per play rate for the stream of the song, it's where else can the money come from in those areas. So maybe, this is an ad for Lyric Find, is a good solution to some of this, right? Which is, here's a new revenue stream that's within the streaming service, which is the artist or publisher on their behalf is getting paid for somebody looking at the lyrics of that song. Ergo, a bigger check to the artist, right? So exactly. it's not just about that per play thing. So what else, where else can we make money within this streaming service ecosystem, right? Can it be integrating tickets? Can it be integrating merchandise? Can it be integrating other types of experience within streaming? And that is a potential yep. solution alongside of per play rates and all this other nonsense. Exactly. You look at things like, well, lyrics, obviously, which are near and dear to my heart, but it's an incremental revenue stream for publishers in particular, uh, not, not the labels, uh, that didn't exist before uh, is on top of all the other existing royalties. But then there's, there's, there's ticketing, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Pandora and Ticketfly and, and what the financial results of, of that acquisition end up being for, uh, for the artists. But uh, there's merchandise, there's experiences, like things that, that Bandpage is doing and other companies are, are doing with that, that are all layered on top of that, that you generate this income through the distribution and the exposure uh, that the streaming services provide without necessarily forcing the services themselves to pay an unsustainable royalty. Uh, and being able to leverage that audience, leverage, leverage the data that you can collect on usage patterns and geography and to plan tours, to market shows and merchandise and everything else to them. There's a lot of other secondary revenue streams that can be captured through the streaming services that keeps them in business that are, is, is extremely valuable. And let's not forget those possible secondary revenue streams for the streaming services themselves. So we're really talking about two issues, which is one is the aggregate amount of money that an artist can make from all these various things that they're doing and how we can simplify that and make that better and reach more people, which I'm sure we'll discuss later as we're mapping out the future of the music industry. So that's part one. But part two, you bring up a great point, which is sure, artists can use this data to get smarter and better about what they do, but What's stopping a streaming service from taking all this data and selling it to 
Procter and Gamble or whoever, right? And are they doing that? And what's the you know the artist's role in that? What's a user's role in that? What have you agreed to with your uh, you know with your little mm -hmm. I accept shit every time you download the new software update, right? Like what the fuck's in that thing? And it's probably <laughs> like reads it. yeah, you can take everything. Here's my social security number, and here's my yeah. credit card, and here's oh all my browser history and all these things. And I have seen. And it wasn't me because I'm not a tech genius, but I have seen people who have created these middleware things like on Facebook, for example, where there's contests and stuff where you can authorize through your Spotify shit and you connect the thing, right? And then when you do that, it actually opens up your history on Spotify for a certain period of time. So just keep this in mind if you're you know, not publicly acknowledging your obsession with Britney Spears. <laughs> I'm looking at you, back row, with the brown jacket. If you're not publicly acknowledging it because you think you're all being private where you're not sharing your thing on the Facebook and all that stuff, great. But the companies can actually see all that stuff and they can actually see all your history and listening and stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah. So where is so that going While go? we're on, exactly. on, that, uh, on that note, you know, talking about Spotify and the different services, I mean, you know, the pool of money that is out there, how many services do you think there's room for? Um, is it a winner take all or, or is it a, a few winners take all? Who's going to fall off uh, in the next 10 years? Where are we going with that? I, yeah. I think it's a few. I, I don't think it ends up being just one. It's not like a Highlander type situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but each of them will, will market to different segments. I, I think you'll end up with... Something with a few like Spotify that that are sort of generic that are across the board, all different types of music. But you're going to have specialized services for different genres or ED, whether it's EDM, especially is obviously one that takes a lot of uh, of unique marketing. Uh, and then also catering to different markets. It becomes very hard for a global company to really focus on any individual country. And if you want. Uh, a true local experience it's, can be very hard to do within a global uh, scenario. So I think you'll, you'll end up with a lot of local services as well, especially uh, overseas. I mean, it's obviously, it's easy to blend together uh, the US and Canada, and I say that begrudgingly as a Canadian. Uh, but you can't really mix the US and France very well, or Part, or Asia, and, and have the same experience for everybody across the board. I, I think uh, it's a great point, uh, Daryl, and I think the macro point is this. The music within these services is a commodity. For the most part, they all have the same music. Sure, Taylor Swift may be on Apple and not on Spotify or whatever, but 99.9% .9 of the catalog is the same. The value is derived from how the streaming service presents this music to the listener and what, what value they're pro, you know, providing to the listener. So is it contextual, like playlists, or here's the best stuff for the gym? Is it geographic or regional, as Daryl's pointing out, where you can get you know, the local catalog in a presentable way? It's really about how do you present every song that's ever been recorded in the history of the world, save the Beatles at this point. I don't know who the other holdouts are. Uh, is Garth Brooks on there now, I think, maybe? No, he's still, okay. Yeah. So He holds out his lyrics, too. Yeah, see, there yeah. you go. It's a mystery. But the Chris Gaines album is yeah. available, though, is it not? I <laughs> hope so. No. Somebody <laughs> I look that up right now. If 
you don't it, know what I'm probably, talking about, Google it. It it's probably amazing. is, but nobody cares. Right. There you go. So <laughs> nobody's looking for it. So that's the thing is when you have every single possible thing, right? And it's just the it's the Library of Congress, right? You don't go in there and like start looking through the card catalogs. That's meaningless. So the value is derived from how the streaming services present the music to the listener. And that was something, you know, in, in the development of Beats Music, we were really focused on is how do we present something where it is the best, you know, for you at the right time. And I think that's what it's all gonna come down to. I think the streaming services that win are gonna be those that present the right music at the right time for you as an individual, right? Yeah, I mean, I think another challenge is, you know, how do you win over uh, new users, right? If you, I mean, to me, you know, and I, and I, fortunately, I, I just expense my membership to every uh, music service, so you know, I don't have to uh, uh, pick one. But um, you know, realistically, I mean, for the average consumer, you're going to pick your, your one thing that you're going to spend ninety nine nine ninety nine a week on a month on. And uh, and then that's it. And then if you know Prince comes out with an album on title, you're gonna say, well, I don't, whatever. I'm not gonna get another. You're gonna listen to it right? on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So does anybody you know, use title? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I mean, you don't count Ted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, how, you know, how how do we get to have movement in this space between the the different? I mean, you know, maybe there, it's there's going to be some consolidation. All, uh, yeah, some, for sure. Right. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, like, Rhapsody, somebody's just going to take that over. But they, they're like, Raps, Rhapsody is like the, the little engine that could in music services. They just keep going. They've survived forever. I use Rhapsody. That's my primary streaming service. And it's, it's good, and they've been around forever. They, everybody always seems to think that they're, uh, they're going to disappear. They never do. And now they just announced recently that they have 3 million subscribers. So... Uh, it's they're they're doing great. I think they're just going to end up being around forever. Sure. All right. That, them and Spotify <laughs> will be the last ones left. <laughs> um, okay. And you know, so if this is what is going to happen with streaming, you know, going to happen is one thing. What should happen in terms of sort of overall efficiency, business-wise, and in terms of you know being equitable with distributions to artists? There just has to be transparency. Uh, I mean, you've you've got to be able to see, for for the artist's sake and the and the songwriter's sake, they should be able to see what services are actually paying, and then if they have an issue with what they're receiving, they'll know do they need to be taking that up with the service or do they need to be taking that up with the label or the publisher that is taking a big chunk off of it or that is reducing royalties because they got an equity stake. Uh, and if they know what the, the entirety of the deal is, then artists' anger can be directed at the right people. But it's, it's so opaque right now that it's very hard for anybody to have a true uh, view of where the money is going and what can be realistically paid. I mean, the streaming services can't pay any more money than they already are. None of them are making money as it is. So we're talking about blood from a stone in, in that scenario. So part of it is acceptance of this is the new reality, but also understanding what the division of that money that they are paying is uh, and allocating that appropriately. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Daryl just hit on um, 
you know, a, a really big point that, that kind of goes, you know, unreported um, in the mainstream press a lot of the time. But, you know, the, the massive amounts of, of equity that the majors have in the streaming services. I mean, if we're, you know, think about what the, the total value of uh, all of the major labels is, right? I mean, I don't know, $10 billion, something like that, if you throw in publishers, 15, 20, I don't know, something like that. But right. just very ballpark, we're talking 10 to 20, maybe 10 to 15 sure. million dollars. Uh, and then if you figure that the labels own about 10 to 20%, somewhere in there, of, of all the streaming services, at least the interactive ones, I mean, Spotify alone, the IPO you know, could be eight to $10 billion. I mean, who knows? I mean, we're just kind of throwing around you know, back the envelope numbers, but the reality is that you know a huge chunk of the the value of the the uh, labels now is is the stakes that they hold in the streaming services. And if we're talking about fairness, you know, how does that? What happens when Spotify IPOs and then the labels come away with over a, a billion dollars? That's great for them, but what about the artists whose catalogs that you know they were they were using to get that equity? I mean, well, and not only that, what happens when Spotify IPOs and the labels cash out their equity positions and then those contracts come up for renewal? Do they get the same rates then, or and or do the rates get jacked up and the company implodes and then they just move on to the next one that they still own a piece of? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to to consider that this is part of the conversation now because of how technology has disintermediated this. But if you go back in time, if you will, even if it's only 20 years ago, let's say, all the labels own manufacturing plants, they own trucks, they own distributors, right? They owned all of these assets that artists did not derive value from. And the way that the investment structure worked when a label invested in an artist was in one specific area. So think about this: it's um, you know the the label puts money into an artist, they give them an advance, and then they put money into marketing that artist, and then they derive money from the consumption of the artist product, right? But that's only one aspect of their business. And another aspect of their business used to be these CD and vinyl manufacturing plants, which then they had to consolidate and sell off because that business was changing. And now it's going back the other way. People are buying and creating vinyl manufacturing plants now because of the rise in vinyl. Where's the artist's stake in that? Nobody asked that 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But for some reason we're saying, well, where's the artist's stake in the Spotify thing, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting in that, that, you know, I think that part of it is the, that Spotify is deriving this extra value, building their value off the back of artists. I hear that a lot, right? Because what they're doing is they're building a delivery system for the content and they're trying to get that value out of the delivery system for the content, where the labels used to do that all themselves to a certain extent. They weren't the last mile, the last mile was the record store, but the labels were owning the manufacturing, and the labels were owning the distribution, and they were deriving value off the back of the artists for that. They had trucks that they had to sell to someone, they made some money off those assets, didn't they? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and on note of vinyl, uh, you know, if we're talking of, you know, from whatever, 1990 to now, Vinyl is kind of do 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 do, and now do 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 do, and and CDs meanwhile are kind of going in that direction. Uh, do you, at what point do you think there will be a point where vinyl catches back up to CDs? I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, and and maybe ten years ago, five years ago, maybe even now, you'd think I would be totally insane for for suggesting that. But 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's quite possible that in, in 10 years, 15 years, there might be more vinyl sales than CDs because people have... Yeah, but that's going to be a difference of like 100 vinyl records were, <laughs> right. were sold and 10 CDs were sold. It's not <laughs> well, going to be a no, meaningful I mean, number. Here, here's the thing, though. I don't know if you guys saw there was some graph online. Someone can remember this better than I, but that the revenue last year from 2015 uh, for vinyl sales, the total revenue was bigger than Spotify royalties, YouTube royalties, all these things combined off those just those few number of units. Because think about it, kids are dropping 20 bucks, 30 bucks on a record now. The records are actually getting more expensive. You go into Urban Outfitters, a record's 30 bucks, where it used to be 10 back in the day. I'm old enough to remember. So it is kind of interesting. It's a different value. And, and look, I agree with you. I think that not everyone's going to walk around with a, with a turntable right yeah. and it's not very portable and all these things back it is days of like the a turntable boom box there you on go your shoulder, exactly walking exactly around. there well there used to be those little portable turntables It'll with the skip one speaker right everywhere yeah. you're walking but but i think that you know there there is there is uh different experiences along with it and it goes back to our earlier conversation which is the thing about the streaming services and and just talking about a per play rate or all that stuff what it really is opening up is there's a greater economy around artists that used to be more distinct and more limited, right? So again, going back to the whole thing, oh, artists are gonna make money off shows and t-shirts and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they always have, right? They always have made that money, but now we're finding a way to combine those things in a place where it's more accessible to more people and there's you know, tons of companies here at this exact conference that are, that are looking into this and trying to create ways to add this value and put it all together in one place. And because of this technology, there are additional revenue streams, like the Lyric Fine thing, right? Like they're getting this extra, these extra pennies every day that they weren't getting before. And so if we start adding all of these things I like things to think up, of them as dollars. Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> but they're Canadian dot loonies and toonies, <laughs> loonies and toonies. But but the thing is, right? So it's like we're creating this greater economy around the artists, and I think that's the promise of it. It's like you know, and it's the same thing. It's like you used to just maybe tape the song off the radio if you just liked that song, right? I don't know if anyone else here used to do that with their yeah, Sony boombox, right? But I mean, I have very distinct recollections in 1984 of just taping those songs off the radio, where I knew I wasn't going to drop the ten bucks on the album because I didn't like it enough but I did like um, like wow. Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant I liked it enough to record that off the radio and listen to it again and again and then you so, got so mad whenever the DJ would talk over right, it right exactly yeah. and, and then so that would be burned that. into your memory every time you heard that song yeah. not on your tape you would hear the DJ talking over right. it anyway exactly <laughs> but you know but there, there's always been these degrees of voting for the artist all the way up to going to the show then spending the money on the t-shirt and all this stuff and I think even that will expand and that's the promise of this whole thing I mean that's why we all do this right is trying to find these ways to help create this revenue for the artists and you know when you have this deep connection between an artist and a fan I don't think anyone would disagree that the artist who's created this great art that influences our lives every day is deserving of compensation for what they have created and how they've created this value in our lives right and so we're all trying to find these ways to make it work and a per stream right look maybe even if a per stream rate is very small, and I wish Too Short was here to hear this, maybe someone could tweet this at Short Dog for me, but think about this. In 1989, I bought Life Is on cassette for, it was probably like 7.99 because it was street week and it was probably on sale. So he only got that, or his label, got that 7.99 out of me and you know that went towards his recruitment and he got paid, right? 
But think about how many times I've listened to that song since then. And if we multiply that and start doing in the millions or billions of people and these like fractions of a penny and they start adding up and adding up and you make really good music that people want to listen to again and again. And if you haven't heard Life Is, the album by Too Short, listen to it and you'll hear it is really good and it's deserving of multiple listens. Maybe over time and times millions and millions of more people than could have gotten that record or that cassette because it was limited in distribution back in the day on Jive Records and there were fewer record stores, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they'd actually, he'd get more than the $7.99 at a time. And maybe that is the dream that well, we will have this. And that $7.99, like the record store took a big chunk. The label there took you go. Distribution. Then you had packaging deductions and breakage deductions and everything. See? And, you know, and, and what is the amount that ends up actually getting to our absentee buddy too short? Right. You know, and, and how many times over a lifetime of listening, what, it would be interesting to see what that what that math is of how many times you actually have to listen to a song or it's, it's the same as the 99 cent download versus subscription debate, mm -hmm. uh, which is funny. We're talking about the future and nobody even mentions downloads because that's just going to disappear too. Uh, and they get the, the label gets 70 cents off of a 99 cent download. How many listens does that equate to if they're getting you know, half a penny of play, 140, if it's a good song, I'm going to listen to it way more than 140 times uh, in, in my how lifetime. how many seconds counts as a listen? Because maybe you don't even listen to the whole thing and they're getting some more of it, right? So Yeah, I could listen part, to the first yeah. 31 seconds and, and that could count. pay exactly. the full, full royalty. Just, so the, it, just the hook. Yeah, it's, it's money now versus money later. It's, uh, it's the same as what we were talking about it earlier getting an advance as an artist and like, oh, we can get a big chunk of money now and then we'll get nothing later because of wonderful accounting practices. Uh, and the 99 cent download is the advance of the digital industry. It's taking some money now for the promise of no money later uh, versus streaming is a little bit of money for the rest of your life. And you get a lot more long-term value, I think, out of out of streaming versus downloads, and when you look at what the consumer is spending, if they're spending $120 a year on music, that's pretty damn good compared to what people used to spend. And I'll say, especially if you make good music, because people listen to it again and again, but I'd say this is the other shit, and think about this for a minute. Not a, we have not yet mentioned, every, every thing we're talking about, we keep saying label, label, label. Think about this. When our friend Too Short started, he was selling records out of the back of his car. He had very limited distribution to go around and sell that stuff. Now, he can reach anyone, anywhere, at any time. Now, I'm not saying that we've solved the problem of marketing on the, with digital services. That's a whole other conversation. We could talk about that, and we may have enough time to solve the future of marketing as well. It looks like we have more time on our panel, so we can talk about that. I'm not talking about the marketing part. Let's forget that for a minute. But no joke, he and a bunch of other artists made their own records, sold them at swap meets and in the back of their cars, and they sold we go hundreds, down to like Go down to Venice thousands. Beach, and there, there there, you, go. you can't so, walk down there without a 1,000 people trying to shove, shove a discman in your there face. You go. And so now... Imagine that he could take that record and put it up online 
and millions of people could hear it and he could get paid that fractions of a cent every time out of his apartment in Oakland. That shit is happening now. And just what you're talking about with the collapse of this whole thing with the majors, let's say they pull out of their equity part, right? And then they shut down their deals and all these other things. Well, the other thing that's happening to them is all these artists, these superstar artists that they've invested millions of dollars to build these superstar artists, their deals are coming up. And they're no longer signed to these major labels. And they have the clout and they have the marketing. So when Jay-Z puts his record up online, he puts what it happens? Samsung. He, and, <laughs> and he gets money on both sides. He owns the publishing. He owns the master. And then the money really starts to happen. So yeah. I think that there is a lot of value in that uh, for an independent artist as well. And for the future of this, I think there's a lot of opportunity. People talk about like the middle class of artists and all that stuff. I think that there's the opportunity for a career in a big way that didn't exist before. Because again, we all harken back to this magical time of major labels ruling the world and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? I worked at one 20 years ago and I'll tell you this, one out of every what? 20 or 50 or 100 that got signed made those millions of dollars. And the other, however many, ended up in the cutout bin, if anyone remembers that, what the cutouts were, right? And there were so many artists that didn't make shit, right? So think about that. Now there's the opportunity for these artists to actually have a long-term career that didn't exist. So I just want to make sure that we're not just looking through these rose-colored glasses back at the past when, you yeah. know. Well, you know, looking into the future with the, the rose-colored or, or not rose-colored glasses, what will there be rec 10 years from now? Are we going to be looking at a world with record labels, with a record label that is a different kind of, has a different kind of mission, with a, you know, a different kind of company acting as a record label? Um, you know, where do you guys think we're going with that? I think it's going to be mostly, the record label of the future is going to be mostly marketing. It's, it's going to be somewhat artist development, but mostly marketing. Distribution is easy. That's done. Check. You know, yeah. And... What else is is left? It's going to be you know, data management and and accounting, which they're obviously very good at, uh, and and marketing and promoting the art the artists, and that's pretty much it. I think it, it's finding ways that you can provide value to an artist's career that they can't do themselves or with their band of friends. And I think that the companies that will exist in the future, whatever you want to call them, record companies, music companies, whatever, are going to have to find ways to add value to the artist's career and get the artist to be able to get more exposure and more money than they could on their own. And so what does that mean? Again, I look towards the aggregate of the economy around the artist and not just the recorded piece of music. Because if we are all to agree that the recorded piece of music becomes the commodity in the future because it's all accessible or whatever. You have to find all these other ways to do it and you have to build value holistically around an artist that people believe in and that's making good work. And you know, as we were saying earlier, like, yeah, you gotta make good music so people stream it again and again so you get the pennies and pennies and pennies. But also, you have to have something that people are gonna vote for and, and, and believe in and wanna care about. Like, back in the day, it was buying the shirt at, and wearing it to school and representing, like, look, this is you know what I'm all about, right? And you, you didn't do that with every artist you liked on the radio. You did it with the ones you really cared about. So it's, it's building those careers and those connections. I think it's all about the connection. Again, 
companies that can provide value around the connection between the artist and fan, that's what it's all about. And, and that's what technology provides us is more ways to do that. Like back in the day, even before music videos, all you could do is look in these, I would subscribe to these magazines and look at these still shots of, of artists in like Hit Parade or in Kerrang and be like, oh my God, like I wonder what Motley Crue is really like. And then you see the music video, when music videos came out and you're like, <laughs> or you were like, oh my God, look at that, there's fire and blah, blah, blah. And it just, we have these increasing ways now to connect. And I think we can derive more and more value and economic value for the artist in these connections. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to me, the, the label or, or whatever you want to call it will, will function primarily as a sort of venture capital firm, right? For musicians, you know, you, we need to invest in your startup you the musician uh you need this capital to you know to expand into you know into new markets or to go on tour or whatever it is and you know whether it's a record label that does that or you know private investors or the the patreon model um you know unclear but uh you know one thing that interests me a lot is if you think about what apple did apple actually distributed you could argue that apple has the uh most widely distributed album of all time, the U2 album that everybody got really mad about. Uh, they, you know, they didn't need a label there, right? U2 made the album. Um, they distrib distributed to, what, I mean, hundreds of millions of people, and a lot of them got mad. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it went out there. There was the marketing. There was everything. Really no need for a record label in that process. So, what happens, you know, I mean, you're kind of seeing it already with Drake and, and Dr. Dre and, and some of the acts that are on Apple right now uh, re releasing, you know, really long windows through Apple and, you know, maybe just a, a small uh, distribution deal for physical. If Apple really wanted to, it could kind of become a one-stop shop. I mean, why does there need to be a, a label between I think the that, artist and that's Apple? more of a one-off, though. I, I think it's, it's important when we look at things like the U2 stuff or the Jay-Z stuff or anything like that, that they're superstar acts and they can make those kind of deals with, with Apple or Samsung or anybody else and get that distribution, but it's not scalable. It's great for them. I mean, U2 gets $100 million because they needed the money and, uh, and all this distribution uh, and exposure because nobody had heard of them. Uh, but it's not something that the general artist population can do. So it's, those opportunities are there now for these artists to make a shitload of money off of large corporations that can see the value in, in the music and that and in uh, pissing off their customers. Uh, but it's not, it's not a scalable model that is accessible to a regular day-to-day -day artist or like the, the, the working artist. Well, what I would argue is, again, it comes back to how are they creating the value, okay? So when we're talking about these things, uh, and I'm not disagreeing with anything that Daryl said, although I may disagree with you two, may, on, may need the money. They may need the money. We don't know. <laughs> they did lose a lot of money in some of those investments they had in, in Ireland and that whole thing crashed. But to the point, it's this. What we've seen so far is experimentation in leveraging this stuff for distribution. We have not seen the experimentation in companies investing in the creation of the music, in the marketing and creating the relationship between the artist and the fan. We have not seen that. And I think what we're going to see is whether or not they perceive that there's value in it. So check this out. So we were talking about this earlier. 
Uh, I, I'm just wondering, uh, in the audience here today, anyone, if you're from a record label or a publisher, not a performance rights organization, but a record label or a publisher, raise your hand. Oh, there's a few, that's, that's pretty impressive, nice. Uh, what we were talking about earlier is this. This SF music tech, it's all tech companies. Very few people that are actually in the content creation business, right? There's this huge chasm between the two. One thing and what we we're really trying to achieve at Beats is this combination of, of tech and, you know, and content. I, I hate that word, but you know what I'm saying, music and media and stuff like that, right? There's this, there's this huge gulf right now. And the question is gonna be, is it a good investment to invest in making stuff? We all saw what Snapchat just did, right? Snapchat has the biggest distribution of anyone, arguably, right? They have however many millions. They just said they had eight, million, eight billion views a day or whatever it is, right? And they shut down. They had just started a new content division. They shut it down. They're like, wow, this making of stuff that people really like is hard and expensive. <laughs> and working with artists is really challenging. You know what? There's expertise, there is value in understanding how to relate to artists and how to work with them to create stuff that's meaningful in our lives. There's a reason why I do this every day and, you know, and work on this stuff. It's that, and I say this again and again, rock and roll saved my soul. And I mean that, right? And, and I know that it has for all of us in this room because that's why this is called music tech and not tech tech. No. There's a value in the music part. There's a value in this stuff that makes our heart beat. And it's great. Look, the ones and zeros that get that music to me, I'm all about it. It's rad. I can't even fathom how people do that stuff. It's fantastic. But there is this thing about how you create the stuff that makes people's heart beat. And I think that there's always going to be that value. And then there's always going to be that value in creating the desire. It's not just awareness, right? Because the distribution, the Apple and the Samsung and all that shit, that's awareness marketing. And just what you're saying, with superstars, all you need is awareness marketing. Fine. But what about the creating the desire, creating the demand? I'll tell you, Apple... It's fucking great at that shit, right? They make everybody want one of these phones. It's, it's basically the same thing. But everyone wants that, right? They can create the desire. Imagine if they took those minds and created that desire around some piece of art. That's why we have these superstar artists, and we only have a handful of them, and they're, they're worth putting the money into. But it's the one thing that everyone has to have. Everyone wants to know what's the one thing I have to have. And, you know, a couple of months ago or whatever, it was the new Taylor Swift album, and every mom went to Target and bought it and all that stuff, right? Because that was the one thing. I just need to know the one thing, and it's going to be Star Wars in another month. I can't wait. I already have my tickets. But I it's going to be, you know, those that, that one thing. And so I, I think that there is something there. There's something missing there. And I think that that will never go away. The art part and the value to people's souls will never go away. And I think that we're going to have this part where these tech companies start figuring this out and realize, oh shit, there is something to that. And we, if the labels, what are today labels start going away, right? We're going to be missing that key element of making the stuff and getting people to care about this stuff. It's not just about the delivery part. Yeah. We have All right. Pink sign. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that is a great spot to, uh, to leave it, um, but we got about 15, 15 more minutes left for questions, so let's uh, open it up uh, right in front. Thank you, guys. Um, 
Thanks for that inspiration there right at the end. Yeah. That was exciting. Uh, <laughs> Perfectly I, timed. I think that's a great point about the tech and the music and why is it called music tech. Uh, it's my first time attending, and I am um, the husband and manager of recording artist Amanda Vernon. So she's an independent artist and uh, has been. we've been doing it together full-time for about three years now, and she's been performing for about 10 years. Um, my question is, I understand about like where streaming is going and um, and you talking about the scalable models that, that can work for artists. But coming from the independent side and, and being kind of new to the music industry but have a, having a business background, to me, I kind of want to use the opportunities of technology to to cut out the middlemen. And I feel when I look at Spotify and yes, opportunities for people to discover Amanda, to me, what seems more attractive is, like you were mentioning with the Patreon model, creating, creating an environment where we use digital um, content, create our own content, and, create, and connect with fans directly, um, whether that's through a, a patron-based model that we create ourselves, which is even easier now with technology. I mean, we could create our own streaming service, in a sense, using hosting online, um, and, and having a, a paywall for like the diehard fans, so it's not scalable though. Uh, and for you can do direct to fan stuff and cut out the middleman for a few things, uh -huh. but something like setting up your own streaming service, nobody's going to use it. Uh, and even for the larger artists, nobody uses it because they want to consume all of their music in the same place. So you're constantly going to have middlemen for things like that where I'm, I'm a user, I might be a, a huge fan of Arcade Fire, but I'm not going to go to Arcade Fire's website to stream their stuff because I want to listen to a couple of their songs and then I want to listen to something by Imagine Dragons and then I want to listen to something by whoever else. Mm -hmm. uh, I was hoping you were going to keep up with the Canadian theme when you started. <laughs> I, you started with Arcade I know, Fire. I know. I was, I was you should have gone then Triumph, Triumph. Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Bare naked ladies. Bieber. Justin Bieber. No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's a reality of distribution is that people will not go to separate places for all of their stuff. And if you look back in the early days of streaming services, where there was MusicNet and Press Press Play, uh, and you had a couple labels content available on MusicNet, and you had a couple labels content available on press play and never the twain shall meet and they fucking sucked because you couldn't get everything that, that you wanted it was it was a terrible terrible experience and so, let me just sorry to, to interrupt just a sidebar if, if people don't know what daryl's talking about look this up because that's where the music industry really fucked up people talk about like oh they shouldn't have agreed to 99 cents with apple blah 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 it was before that. The music industry, the major labels, had a chance to have their own streaming service. They had their chance to distribute everything directly to anyone who wanted to start a streaming service. And because these two different companies yeah. could not combine into one, that's where the whole thing went sour. They did have a chance. I was there. I was part of it. That's where it really got fucked. And so they could have controlled everything. They could have controlled. What was your question, thing. David? I'm sorry, you didn't finish. What was the question? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, we I, just I kind talking. of well, you yeah. interrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daryl was talking about yeah. how that's how that's not scalable because of just the sheer fact that you have a lot of artists you like and you wouldn't want to go to one spot. But it seems like just looking at the economics, like the way the formula is calculated with Spotify, it's based on your percentage 
compared to all the other artists. So if you're an independent artist, you're, you know, unless you, you know, break out and, and have huge success, it, it makes sense t to me to, to focus, like it seems like a lot of those on Patreon have done, to the hardcore fans, and you're making the majority of that profit, and then that can, that can be a slower growth, maybe, but... But why are they mutually exclusive? That's yeah. my question is, you know, again, I think if you're looking at the overall economics of the artist, and I, I'd say this for, you know, for artists that I love, let's use Rush as a Canadian example, because I love Rush. I just went to the 40th anniversary tour, all that stuff, right? I listened to Rush on Spotify, so they're making their pennies. I bought all the 200 gram vinyl reissues. 180 was not good enough. Two, thank you, Jeff, by the way, the A&R guy at UME who did this. 200 gram vinyl reissues, I bought those. I've been buying my t-shirts. They're making money through all of these different ways. And what I'd say is, you are right. You're gonna make much less money on Spotify, but you may get exposure. You may get included in some playlists. I would advise you know, lobbying all these different playlists that exist on Spotify to include your wife's music. I think that's the way to do it. So just like you don't make any money if your song is played on the radio, you make this much money if your song is played on the radio, but you wanna be on the radio for the exposure. That doesn't stop you from selling albums. Do all of it. You got to do all yeah. of it. You got to find all these connections and you got to then find ways to take these connections and maybe just hearing a song once on Spotify or on the radio isn't enough, but you got to find ways to have deeper connections to the fans and there are going to be people who are going to react and they're going to want more and they're going to want to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Nurture those connections beyond the music. There like forget about the, the streaming stuff because that's, you know, I mean, you can make it available on a direct site, but that's not why people will go there. They'll go there for that deep connection to the artist for advance access to stuff, for right. merchandise, tour information, for, for all the things that aren't provided through the streaming service. But there is one thing that is a possibility that, that's out there that may help calm your worries in that. And there's, there's a theory of subscriber share accounting, where if I'm a user on Spotify and I listen to only your wife's music because she's amazing, then the entire royalty portion from my $10 a month would go to her. It's not in the pool, it's just what I pay is divided up directly among the artists that I listen to. And that's the way it should work. I and mean, that's really the answer is that's the way it should work because that's the same as spending $7.99 for the right. cassette. Then I'm spending it yep. just on that artist or yep. my money is just going to the people that, uh, that I am listening to. Uh, and then there are, there are people like there's there's the breakage question in there of if I don't listen to anybody in a month because generally about 50% of subscribers to a streaming services don't access it in any given month. Uh, so there's a lot of unallocated income there and you can divide that up across all, all the usage. Uh, but technologically that's a lot tougher. It's a lot of data to process and when you're taking that across territories, across artists, across uh, uh, millions and millions of subscribers and different services. It's a lot of data to process, but we could we could get there, and then it's divided up in seemingly the most fair way. Okay. Cool. All right. Can I, can I ask a little addendum to that, or add a little bit? Probably okay. quick. Cause really we're quick. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Can you talk about the difference? Can you talk about the difference between? Um, People, you know, songs kind of have like this 99 cent value where they did, you know, with, with digital downloads. But can you talk about the difference between somebody supporting an artist financially, like you see on Patreon, the, the difference between um, 
paying for the music itself, whether with its perceived value or actually as a, a way of supporting the artist. Do you see that as, um, I don't know. I think it's the, here's what I'd say. I think it's the same thing. I think it's, you know, 20 years ago, you had no other, no other way to support an artist other than buy the CD, buy the t-shirt. Nowadays, there's a million ways to support the artists, and I think there are going to be increasingly different ways to support an artist. And I think that's really the answer is, if you want to support the artists, give them money. The way I do it is I buy a ticket to the show, when I'm at the show, I buy a t-shirt, because I know that money goes in their pocket. All right, next question. Uh, right over here. Thanks for speaking. Uh, you have any advice for artists, myself, and for my daughter, 14-year-old? Does it matter where you live when you're starting, if that's uh, SF or LA? If that's appropriate question to ask you guys, like, what's your uh, advice on? Do you need location? Toronto. Uh. <laughs> well, I'd say Canada is a good place because of the funding that they give to local yep. artists as well. You know, any country that has a government-supported program and that pushes for uh, their local content on the radio as well as uh, you know, support of the arts I think is tremendous. I think America does not do as good of a job in terms of financial support of You'll the You'll get arts. radio royalties too. That's it, and you get radio royalties. But I think that again, if you, know, if you can harness the technology in the right way, live wherever it's as cheap as possible. That's my, my answer. It's, it's expensive yeah. as hell to live in LA, I'll tell you what. And San Francisco. You know, and, and, live, and Toronto. Anywhere, anywhere you can play, you know. I mean, uh, I think live is yeah. still a huge, huge, huge part of the music business as you're coming up and, you know, building a following that way, um, you know, playing, you know, coffee houses or whatever it is and, and working up to slightly bigger venues. I think that's, you know, that's the biggest stepping stone to having a following that can then give you your stream of pennies on Spotify or, or wherever yeah. and buy your you, T-shirts. Use the data that you can get from, like, Pandora's uh, artist platform to see where your fans are and, and go close to them. Hi, my name is Duran. I'm with tracktunes.org. I uh, just want to quickly say that this actually, this discussion here today is pretty depressing to me. It doesn't <laughs> seem like the future of music is that pretty in the sense that it seems like all music is going into fewer and fewer hands in terms of content and it's all being streamed, which is another problem. You know, streaming sucks. It's just, you know, you can't Sucks for who? Sucks for a lot of us consumers of music. You know, a lot of people like to collect. You're talking about vinyl coming up. So my question at the end of this is going to be, what about the future of downloads? Are they coming back at any point? No, this is no. a way to pay musicians for their music, not for merch, not for other stuff, for the real thing that they do, which is the music. I buy records. Downloads, there you go. Yeah, downloads don't serve any value to me whatsoever. If you have a streaming service and you can put it on offline mode to take it on the plane, I see no reason. Yeah. I have a computer full of, I probably have 50,000. Is 50,000? That's not enough. Whatever it is, 500,000 tracks on my iTunes or whatever. I have not listened to it in, what year is it? In four years. Yeah, in four well, years, I, I haven't listened to a single one. But no. here's the thing: is I think that if you want to support, are, there are reasons. Uh, okay. One of them is that yeah. you can support musicians that way. I buy streaming records. streaming Another services one. support musicians yeah. too. The and if you if, if you really the like a song, on a listening than a download. It, listening to a song on a streaming service repeatedly will pay more to the artist than buying a ninety nine cent download. 
streaming allows the music industry to completely erase transparency with how musicians get paid in the end. Maybe they get well, money. We need to change the, the transparency. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows yeah. about That's it. It's the, the way uh, to hide. It's yeah, we talked about that demand. earlier, that yeah. transparency needs to be there to see what they're being paid per stream and who it's being paid to and the equity portions and things like that. But you're better off, if you want to support an artist, you're better off looping their album on Spotify over and over again, and it's going to generate more money than if you buy the album. And buy their vinyl. It's higher quality. They get more money. Go directly to their website. Buy it directly from them. Put it don't on the shelf because you don't actually own a turntable. Yeah, I, or come to my house. I have a few turntables and a couple different setups. I have a room with a manual turntable and, and monitor speakers. I also have an automatic turntable in the living room with the bigger speakers. Come to my house. You'll hear what music should really sound like. And the artists get more money. And there's transparency because you buy it directly from them. And I think after that, party at Brian's. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. <laughs> go on. There's a there's a United flight at uh, two thirty. I'll see you guys on there. Um, hi, my name is Don Tillman, uh, musician, engineer, music fan. Um, I'm disappointed in the state of the market, the marketplace, the, the, the situation here. As as this gentleman is over here, and you guys have pretty much agreed too. Um, you, you've talked about. You've been talking about bits and pennies and talking about how there's not much uh, profit to be made in streaming and how the musicians are hurting and the listeners are hurting. And what's needed really is for the providers, streamers, record companies, whatever, to, to offer more value, not a little more value, an order of magnitude more value. Music is cultural and cultural is context. And there's so many opportunities here to provide enormous value to the musicians, to the listeners. And I think we're kind of lost in the bits and the pennies and not seeing it. How are you Did measuring you not hear the anything I said, uh, by the way? Were yes, you, you agree. You agree with it. So but, I we're not, but we're not seeing the result. Yeah, I, you, so I completely agree end, with yes. you. Here's the thing is what you're talking about is, is streaming in a vacuum as compared to everything else. And what I'd say is this, the overall value and economic value that can be derived to an artist, directly to an artist, is at an all-time high. And so I'll give you a practical example. There's a guy in the front row who knows what I'm talking about. There's a band called Fu Manchu. If you're not familiar with Fu Manchu, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Let me tell you something about Fu Manchu. Those guys are more successful now directly, the band themselves, the guys who are in this band are making more money now in 2015 than they were five or 10 years ago when they were signed to a record label. They're making more money now because A, they're making their own vinyl that they're selling directly to their fans. B, they're getting more money from streaming services overseas than they ever were. They weren't making money in Sweden and Finland and um, Norway and Denmark before because nobody was buying CDs in those countries. Now they actually make more money from those countries in the streaming services. They're making more money from touring and they're making more money from selling shirts. They couldn't do that 10 or 20 years ago because of the technology wasn't available 10 or 20 years ago. They have their own website. They, have, uh, they sell merch directly through, um, I'm trying to think of what the company is. Look it up on their website. You can see they're selling their own merch directly. There's tremendous opportunity, I would say. And again, I think that there's tremendous opportunity for companies that can create this value, as you're saying. Tons of it. Don't look at streaming as just in, in and of itself in a vacuum. And going, going back to what you're saying, like um, 
you know, putting money into artists and is it venture capital and all that stuff. Think about this for a minute. Record labels used to invest millions of dollars into promoting an artist and they were only deriving their return on their investment from one line of that artist's revenue, right? They would sign an artist to a million dollar advance and only recoup that million dollar advance from record sales. They weren't taking money from their touring, they weren't taking money from the merch, they were even providing tour support for the artist to go out and tour when the artists helping to build their touring business and only deriving the revenue back from the record sales. That, I think, is what's gonna change in a good way, in a positive way, which is you have to look at it holistically. That would be like a venture capital firm investing in a startup and being like, well, we're gonna put money into your company, but we're only gonna make the money back from your marketing department. But all the yeah. other departments, they can make the money and you can keep it. So I think there's tremendous opportunity. I, again, I think that there's gonna be more and more ways for these direct fan to artist connections and monetizing those connections and creating deeper connections than there ever has been. So I, for one, am not depressed. I'm motivated. I get up and do this every day because I believe in the future of it. I agree with that, yeah. but we need more. We uh, need more. Order. I'm talking that's we, why we're we, here. order we of magnitude. We can sure. always more. use more, and that's why we're all here to come up with, with more things. But I'll actually, just to, to add to that, I would put forth the argument that the artists actually aren't worse off with streaming. It's just the money is distributed differently over time. And that we're in a transition period where people are getting used to pay, being paid one chunk at the beginning and then nothing. And now they're getting paid little chunks forever. And over time, especially because the dollar spend that, people, that users are, are putting into music a year if they're subscribing to a streaming service is, in, is massively higher than in the old world under either downloads or physical sales that over time artists from their music and from music sales and streaming will receive significantly more money than they would have before. All right, and on that note, uh, we have run through our allotted time. Uh, too short may not have been here, but our time was too short. Uh, hopefully we can uh, you know, do this again some other time soon. Thank you all for coming, really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of the summit. Say